Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show with Michael McDonald, a very special guest. We have Nathan Hurst joining me today. Nathan, thanks for being on the show. Hey Mike, thanks for having me. Good stuff. Right, Nathan is a serial entrepreneur and expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. He started his first e-commerce business out of his college dorm room and sold over $30 million online. He then co-founded and became the CEO of FreeUp, which is a marketplace that connects businesses with pre-vetted freelancers in e-commerce, digital marketing, and much more. So it seems he's, you seem to be pretty pretty hot on hiring, for want of a better expression there, Nathan. But I thought we'd start with your background, if that's okay. So could you share with us where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, um, Western Mass., and my parents were both teachers. So I always grew up with the mentality that I was going to get good grades in high school, get into a college, maybe have an internship, get good grades, graduate, work for 40 years and retire. And I, I kind of grew up with that mentality. And when I was in high school, my parents always made me work these summer jobs. So while all my friends were outside playing, I was working 40, 50 hours a week um, at the Firestone Corporation at Aaron's. And I learned so much about customer service, about sales, about managing a team, but I also hated every second of it, not just because I, I was inside while everyone else was out having fun, but because I realized that I just didn't like working for other people. I wasn't motivated. I was watching the clock, and it was almost a wake-up call that if this was going to be my life for 40 years, I was not going to be happy with it. So when I got into college, I really looked at it as a ticking clock, and I went to college at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, and I looked at it as a ticking clock because I said, I have four years to create a business and to work for myself, and if I don't figure this out by four years, I was going to have to graduate and get that job. So I started hustling when I got to college. I opened up a textbook business to compete against a school bookstore. We all know that the bookstore rips people off, and- <laughs> I, I created a little referral program, and before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books, and I was using all this money that I had made during the summers to buy people's books, hold on to it, and then sell them at the beginning of the next semester, and this business did really well to the point where I actually got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off because they were taking, I was taking too much of their business, so <laughs> that was my first glimpse into being an entrepreneur, yeah. and from there, I learned a little bit about Amazon. This was 2008, so no one really knew what Amazon was going to be, become. It was more of a bookstore just getting into other products. And I thought it was so cool that I could run this online store that would be available 24-7 and, and use my customer support experience to make sure customers were happy and, and everything that went with it. I just had to figure out what to sell because I knew I wasn't going to sell books forever. They were heavy. I didn't have a warehouse to store all these things, so it wasn't very scalable. So I started experimenting with dropshipping. Years before I even knew that it was called dropshipping, the concept that I could build relationships with manufacturers, vendors, suppliers, have sell something and then have that supplier ship it to the customer, and I make the difference. So I had this concept that I was playing around with, and I started off by trying stuff that I was familiar with, sporting equipment, computer games, video games, everything that a normal college kid, a normal college guy likes. And I just failed over and over and over. The only thing that I could get to sell were these books. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone and experimented with the baby category <laughs> that I started having success. So. Okay. 
if you can't imagine me as a 20 year old single college guy selling tons of baby products on Amazon, that was me. And for whatever reason, this niche was booming. People would pay anything for, for their kids. And I got rid of, I stopped selling the books and I focused just on that. And before I knew it, I was running this multi-million dollar Amazon baby product business out of my college dorm room. So I'm making money for the first time. It's time for me to start paying taxes. I meet with an accountant and the first thing he tells me is, or the first thing he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. Like, why would I do that? It's going to be money out of my pocket. I'm going to have to train them. They're not going to do as good of a job as me. They're not going to yeah. care. I can do this all myself. I love it. And he just laughed in my face and essentially said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Well, sure enough, my first busy season comes around, the fourth quarter, where, and I get crushed. <laughs> I'm working 20 hours a day. My social life's gone. My grades start to go down. And somehow I make it out to January. And I think to myself, I can never let this happen again. And I start hiring people. And one of my first hires is, ends up being my business partner, Connor. I got really lucky. It was an amazing hire. So I think hiring is easy. You just post a job, someone shows up, you hire them, and it works out. Well, I proceed to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. And I quickly realized college kids, not very reliable. And no 30-year-old expert wants to work for me as a 20-year-old kid. So I start going to the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fibers, and I get pretty good at it. And I build an awesome, what I call my VA army, but I realized it just took forever to post a job, go through 50 people, interview them one by one. And I wanted a faster way. And when I couldn't find that, I built it myself. So three years ago, I built FreeUp, a marketplace where we get thousands of applicants. We vet them for skill, attitude, communication, take the top 1%, let them in and then make them available to clients quickly around the world with great customer service, with a no turnover guarantee where we cover replacement costs if someone quits. So that's the long story of how I went from a broke college kid to starting two companies. One of the things that stood out for me was the, the idea behind customer service and the, the things that you, you learned along the way. So what did you learn regarding the, the business side and the customer service side while you were, were working all those different jobs? I mean, customer service is key. It's a foundation of any business. If you can't retain your customers and keep them happy, you're going to struggle. And that doesn't matter if you're in the restaurant business, if you're in e-commerce, if you're running a marketplace like I am. To me, customer service is everything. And I know the old saying is the customer's not always, or the customer's always right. I don't necessarily think that, but I know that it's in my best interest to make the customers and anyone else that interacts with, with me and my business happy. And that includes the freelancers. That includes the partners. Um, I want to wow people with customer service. I want, if someone has an issue, because listen, we're a startup where people make mistakes, stuff is just going to happen. There's always going to be issues here and there. I want people to send in an issue and get an instant response with the solution and just be wowed. And that's really the customer service that I want to try to provide. Have you got an example of good customer service and then this idea of wowing people? Because it seems to me that there is probably a difference in the way that you go about it. So how would you distinguish between just good customer service with wowing people? Yeah, it actually happened this morning. I, I had a client who emailed me. She had she was using FreeUp for the first time. She hired a writer and she wasn't happy with the, the work that was done. She felt like the, the, 
the freelancer build X amount of hours. She felt like that was a little high and, and the work quality wasn't there. And, and we take this stuff seriously. And, and this freelancer had been on the marketplace for a while. She had no other complaints. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, even the best freelancers aren't the, the best fit for every single client in the world. So yes, maybe the freelancer did do a bad job or maybe it was a personal preference thing and it wasn't a right fit. That doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I want to make sure this client is happy and I, I want them to come back and know that they can count on free up. So she sent us an email. She got a response from one of my assistants 10 minutes later telling her that we were going to refund her for the four hours, give her a $25 credit. And we already, we sent her two new replacement options for writers right away. So that's a wow factor. And then I got up, this happened before I woke up. So I got up, I, I saw that email. My assistant said, hey, check out this client. They seem unhappy. So I reached out to her. I said, hey, I'm Nate. I'm the owner of FreeUp. I just want to make sure that you are taken care of. And she responded back, wow, she couldn't believe how fast we were, how, how quickly my assistants handled it, and how the owner of the company reached out as soon as he got up in the morning. So that, that's kind of one small example of what I consider high-level customer service. So it, it seems like you you tried to go the extra mile then, so that there, there aren't many people out there like you wouldn't expect um, the, the owner of Amazon say or the owner of Facebook to, to reach out and say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry about you know X, Y, and Z, and we'll do this for you and we'll do that for you to make sure that you're obviously happy with your experience and we'll we'll sort out again for next time. You wouldn't expect yourself to actually message everybody that that wanted the, the, the extra service or they weren't happy or whatever it was so it's uh, it's almost like you you as the owner are essentially responsible for the wow factor or is that something that you fulfill through the the extra staff as well yeah, it trickles down from the top. And the wow factor isn't necessarily me reaching out. I mean, I'm sure if we get big enough, that, that might not be possible. And and my assistants do a great job. I mean, we rarely have big issues. And my assistants are, are very capable of handling small issues and making sure that clients are taken care of. And we put a lot of time into make, training them and making sure that they're able to do it. But one thing I learned about customer service is it's not about fixing the problem. You have to go that extra mile. And the example is, hey, if I had just said, you know what, I'm just going to refund you those four hours. Well, that doesn't necessarily help the client. I mean, the client spent their own time, their own energy into this. All I did was put them in the exact same situation that they were right before they hired this person with a little bit more wasted time. So the, the extra mile is, hey, I got you two new replacements right away. Hey, I'm giving you a credit towards future work. Obviously, the fast response because valuing people's time at the highest possible level is important. So if you're listening out there and you're doing customer service, make sure you're not just putting people in the exact same situation they were. You have to put, make them better off than they were before. That's what great customer service is. I quite like that. I quite like the, the idea of trying to improve the situation that they're in and try and maybe like improve their like initial starting point. Because if, if they're unhappy, I would imagine that they're in a worse place than, than obviously before they started. So, so you'd have to sort of acknowledge that and say, right, well, not only can we make them back to where they started, but let's see how we can actually improve their situation. And, and I guess just by doing that alone, they're the more likely to, to stick around and, and maybe use you again, right? Exactly. And, and I'll tell people, I'll say, you know what, obviously I want you to keep using free up, but what my number one priority is, is I want to know that you're happy with this particular situation that you feel that it's resolved and that you're made whole again and then some. And if I can get people to that point, then yes, hopefully they come back. But I don't want people to think that, hey, I'm just doing this so that you keep using free up. I want to make, I want to make sure every individual situation is handled to the best possible ability.
Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Something that I would I definitely echo and, and agree with there, Nathan. So what was it like when you first started Free Up then? So obviously it's this, it's this, big, uh, it's, it's this big platform now, but what, what was it like to, to get it off the ground and get it started? I mean, it's interesting. I, I've kind of, I've never been an entrepreneur that follows other people. And what I mean by that is I got into Amazon before there were gurus, before there were courses. I mean, I, no, there was no one saying, hey, this is how you sell on Amazon. I was figuring it out for myself. And, and that was kind of fun for me. And once people, everyone in the world started selling on Amazon, it became a little less fun. Everyone's just copying each other and, hey, you have to do this way, this system. And that's, for me, that's not fun as an entrepreneur. And, and same thing with FreeUp. When we started, there was no one saying, oh, this is how you build a freelancer marketplace. <laughs> uh, we figured out a lot ourselves and, and there were a lot of lessons. And there's three parts of it. There's obviously getting clients and the lead generation and standing out and making us better and the customer service. But then there's also getting the freelancers. The freelancers can offer their services anywhere. There's so many virtual assistant agencies and marketplaces out there. How do we attract them? How do we make it better for them and, and keep them there and make it a positive community? And then you got the software that holds it all together and you're competing with the Upworks and the Fivers, people who have gigantic software budgets. How do we make our software better and stand out and compete with them and still have that high expectations that, that people are going to have. So it, it's a balancing act of all three and, and constantly coming up with new ideas and tweaking and, and trying. And it was a lot of feedback. What we wanted to know is how can we improve? What do you not like about what we're building? How can we change it? And we're constantly asking clients and freelancers for feedback on everything from me as a leader to my assistants, to our processes, to the, to the software, to every single part of the business. And we take that feedback seriously and we're constantly trying to implement it. Have you got any particular stories of where that has helped and where that hasn't helped in terms of asking for feedback and, and trying to figure out how, how best to improve? Yeah. So we noticed that or as we built software and we added more and more features, we felt like clients were getting a little bit lost in it. I mean, it, we needed to add more features because we wanted clients to have more options. But then you also have a group of clients who are either used to the old features or they're trying us for the first time and they kind of have a different range of how tech savvy they are. Some people are very, some people aren't. And, and we wanted to figure out how do we, how do we improve this? At the same time, Connor and I have been building this software for three years. And for, to us, the software has gotten better and better and better. And sometimes it's hard for the business owner to look at a part of the business and think of it from the client side because we have all this background information on how everything works that sometimes the clients don't know or don't understand. So what we did is we put in our newsletter, hey, we're offering a $50 credit. If you meet with us for an hour and just walk us through the software. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you don't understand, what, what you think we can improve. And we did this. And I think we did it with five to 10 different clients and we gave them a $50 credit. We met with them. We, we took a ton of notes and then Connor and I sat down and we said, okay, how can we change all this stuff? And it, nothing was huge, but it was a lot of small things that were confusing and making things difficult. And, and right now our developers are actually in that process of fixing and changing all these things and we should implement them in the next week. I think we're pushing it next Saturday. So that's a recent example. And I mean, we're three years into the company and we're still trying to figure out how can we get better. I quite like the, uh, the commitment to be improving. That is pretty, it's pretty good. There aren't, there aren't many, there aren't many people that I guess are that committed to it as well. I mean, it seems like, well, once you get 
good at something and you get okay at something, then there are a lot of people out there that might feel like, well, this is it now. I'll just sort of stay as I am. But you seem to be quite committed to improving, which is pretty good to know. Have you got any, I don't want to say horror stories, but have you got any like moments when you've tried to go down that road in terms of asking for feedback and it's just not quite worked out the way you wanted it to? I, I think the biggest, I don't have any horror stories, but I think the biggest thing about feedback that a business owner has to understand is you can't implement every piece of feedback right away. And I try to make that clear up front. I mean, there, there are so many things that, that we could add. Just in the software alone, I have a hundred pages of ideas that I would want to implement, but you can't do everything at once. I mean, I could, I could spend a million dollars on software and there'd still be more updates to make. And, the, and even with processes, I mean, other people that might have have ideas or, or feedback, they might not understand the, the legal implications or the, or the reason why we do certain processes. Um, maybe that maybe we did something the old way and it didn't work, and that's why we do it the new the new way. And someone is suggesting we go back to the old way. So it, it, it's a balancing act. You want people to feel like you're listening to their feedback, which you are, but at the same time, you have to have them understand, hey. There are certain things that we do for a reason that we just can't change. And then there's certain things that, hey, that's a good idea, but it's not realistic for us to do that this week, this month, sometimes even this year, depending on how big or small that project is or where it fits in terms of priority or, um, with the other projects we already have. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, it's, so it seems like you, you're still – you're still trying to adjust that process and still always trying to improve, which again, it's, it's something that I have seen before. There are loads of people that have been on the show that are still committed to that. And even the likes of Facebook is trying to improve all the time and change and all the different features and everything. I'd imagine they've had to go through an element of a feedback process to learn what works, learn what doesn't work and then and figure out the rest. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can only get so far with feedback. I, I would imagine there was, there's always a certain element of it that's, you still got to figure it out by yourself. Absolutely. And, and I try to tell people, even my assistants, I, I say, hey, these are the processes. I'm going to teach them to you so you understand it. But they're not the processes because Nate says so. It's the process because this is what we've come up with so far. I want you to learn them. I want you to master them. And then I want you to help me make them better. It's an ever-improving situation where we're trying to make our processes better. Yeah, for sure. It seems it seems something that's getting more and more common now. It's almost like the faster the world moves, the faster we've got to move with it, which is it's nice in some ways, but then in some ways it's it's a constant endeavour to, to always try and shift with the way the world's going. So I thought we would um, I thought we'd shift towards shift towards what free up does now and this idea of of hiring and all those sort of things. So what could you tell us about free ups process in terms of how you how you try and get the right people to the right people? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time vetting people. I mean, we get thousands of applicants every week. We take one out of every 100 applicants we get and let them on the platform. And we vet them for skill, attitude, and communication. For skill, we're not necessarily looking for everyone to be a 10 out of 10. There's a time and a place for someone who's a 3 out of 10 or a 5 out of 10, as long as they're priced accordingly and they, they're honest about what they can and cannot do. So we spend a lot of time on skills. We have skill tests, skill questions that we spend a lot of time on. So if they're an Amazon expert, they get asked different questions. And if they're a marketing expert and if they're a developer, they go through a test. If they're a graphic designer, we look at their portfolio. So skill is different. But with attitude and communication, it's the same no matter what your skill is. We want people with a positive attitude. We want people who don't get aggressive the second that something doesn't go their way. 
We want people who aren't just in it for the payments. They actually like what they're doing. If, if I'm hiring a bookkeeper and I hate bookkeeping, they have to love being a bookkeeper as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people we look for. And then with communication, it's so important. I mean, communication is the key to our platform. We know that poor communication leads to the most um, bad hiring experiences. So we have 15 pages of communication best practices that freelancers have to memorize and get tested on before they get on the platform. So we care a lot about this stuff. Once they're in, we're very quick to remove people. If they're taking on projects they can't do at a high level, if they have poor communication, if they, if they have a, a terrible attitude. So it doesn't just stop at the interview process. And I think that's key. We're constantly making sure that the freelancers on the platform are providing the top level service for the clients. I quite like when you, <clears throat> when you said if it doesn't stop at the interview process. I think there are a few that might be listening that might be like, oh, once I've got the, the job, then, then that's it. Once I've got the, the business, then that's it. Where you're constantly trying to constantly trying to adjust and maybe even control an element of, of quality within, within the, the app or the software as well. So how, how do you go about doing that? How do we go about, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, so it, it was more about like, how, how do you go about trying to make sure that <clears throat> they still hit the, the certain requirements once they've joined Freel? Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the first thing is when they're applying for tickets and stuff like that, we're making sure that they're actually the right fit. And we also make it clear what our um, terms of use are, what, what we're actually looking for um, in terms of staying on the marketplace. And the other part of it is asking for feedback because at the same time, these are real people and, and they need an opportunity to, to do some work and, and get feedback. And we only want freelancers on the platform that are constantly getting good feedback and that clients want, like, and keep coming back to. So, it's a combination of being upfront and my assistant's doing a great job filling tickets and talking to freelancers while they're doing it. And then also after the fact, following up with clients and making sure that they were happy with the experience. Is there like a, a certain rule whereby like after a certain number, then they leave or is it like they only get one, what one shot or all those sorts of things? What's the, what's the process like? Yeah, it's very case by case. I mean, we don't have a three strikes or out policy because again, freelancing is not that cut and dry. You might have a, someone who has 10 happy clients and you introduce them to one and, and that client and them aren't a good fit for any reason. It could be the client's fault, the freelancer's fault. It could just be that they're not a good match. It could be this one project. Who, who knows? So, it's very case by case. Um, obviously, if it's a big issue like plagiarism or something like that, which we've never had, um, then, then that's different and they would only get one shot and we would remove them. But um, it's much more along the lines of case by case. And if someone's constantly getting, hey, poor communication or, or bad attitude or, or they're taking projects and they're not completing them, um, then we're pretty quick to, to take action. But we're all about making sure that, that we're not just removing people for no reason. Yeah, that, that that sort of makes sense. Is there is there an element of like trust as well built up over time? So you say like if if they have got the the ten happy clients and the ones just not quite a good fit for them, do you investigate that to figure out what the actual details are before you decide whether to take action or not? 
Of course. I mean, we try to be fair to all parties. We don't want to put people in a situation where um, they feel like we were just making a decision or we just sided with the client or we just sided with the freelancer. I mean, there, there's an information um, that we need to gather. And I mean, sometimes they're, they're just, you can spend hours and hours going through something. Sometimes it just makes sense to give someone a credit and make sure both sides are happy and just move on if it's a small issue. So it's very much case by case. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. See, it, it seems like it's it seems the the only way to do it that way. Like you can't, you can't just have this have this very automated. It's very hard to just say, okay, well, if, if every time we'll side with the client and it turns out it's like one of a hundred happy customers, then you think, well, maybe there was something maybe an issue with the actual project or maybe the details weren't discussed fully before they went ahead and did it and all those sorts of things so yeah I can imagine it being difficult to do it any other way in in an effective way it's almost like it's it's hard to it's hard to do it without having all the details and all the information so yeah thanks for sharing that Nathan I appreciate that of course if someone was to to join FreeUp, what would <clears throat> what would the the process look like in terms of okay, they go through the interview, they're in the app, then what? Do they have to search for for gigs, or do people come to them? What's the what's the experience like for the the freelancer? Yeah, so clients submit a request and it goes to our project board, which our freelancers get access to, and then um, on the back end. They, we also have Skype group chats with all the graphic designers, all the writers, all the Amazon experts, um, and we post jobs there as well. So it's really up to the freelancer if they prefer Skype, if they prefer the project board. Um, we'll reach out to people as well if we have open tickets and, and think that someone's a fit. So it's very proactive. There, there's no um, browsing from the client side. There's no um, competing with 100 people from the freelancer side. So, so we found that it's a process that, that both parties appreciate. Ah, oh, nice. So what would, so I would imagine you've had a lot of experience dealing with freelancers and people who are self-employed, people that have particular skills that then obviously get paid for the work that they do. Have you came across any common themes for like the, the freelancers that do really well? This can be on, on your app or, 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 or otherwise, but when, when you think about what freelancers do and all those sorts of things, have you got any best practices that you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is communication. It, freelancers that communicate at a high level are the ones that have success. And communication isn't just fast responses. It's being upfront with the client. Hey, this is how I work. This is how I've had good experience in the past. Let's get on the same page with expectations before we start. Let's make sure everything's in writing so there's no he said, she said. The freelancers that go that extra distance with communication have very happy clients, are able to retain clients. They avoid issues because if an issue comes up, the freelancer and the client can communicate right away and just fix it. That's really the key. Everything else comes second to just having strong communication across the board. Is there anything that you can pinpoint to that, you know, because there are people out there that might be like thousands of graphic designers and thousands of people that um, they could be ghostwriters or content creators or photographers and videographers and, and all those sorts of things. It's so, it's so hard for a lot of people to stand out, to, to be seen as someone that's, that's worth paying for instead of somebody else. And I imagine there's a lot in terms of the, the thought process of the freelancer with, with that. But how would you suggest someone stands out in a crowded marketplace when it comes to being a freelancer? 
Yeah, it's almost back to my last question or the last answer. It's communication. I mean, the freelancers that reach out quickly, that set up a meeting, that get on the same page, that are, are very honest about what they can and cannot do, and they don't just agree to any single project. They, they actually are, are vetting the client just like the, the client is vetting the freelancer to make sure that it's going to be a perfect fit and that there's not going to be issues down the line. Those are the ones that have the most success. All right, awesome. Is there anyone that's joined free up that that has still struggled with that? I mean, I don't know if you only have like one of every, you know, skill out there or you've got several or whatever the case is. But if it, if it is a marketplace, I would imagine there's still an element of competition or an element of, you know, trying to stand out somewhat so people do actually feel like they, they, they can be hired or they're being hired by the right people. So how would you suggest someone stands out in, in a marketplace like that where it's still vetted, it's still, you know, reasonably well controlled, but there could be still people that are still struggling. So what advice would you have for those people? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes time. I mean, freelancing, there's good months, there's bad months, and, and it takes tweaking. I mean, they're like you said before, they're self-employed. They're running their own business. Well, when you're running your own business, it doesn't always work well right away. You have to tweak your services, your, your offerings, how you communicate, how you set meetings, how you run interviews. I mean, all that stuff um, needs to get needs to get finalized and needs to get continue to be tweaked until you get to where you want to be. So there's always going to be competition. There's always going to be things that, that come up that you need to change. And I think the freelancers that understand it's a process and that they're constantly improving, those are the ones that have a lot of success long-term. That seems to be one of the, the running themes recently is, uh, particularly with today's conversation, is all about always trying to improve, always having that never-ending improvement in mind. It seems to be something that, that runs throughout a lot of the things that you do, Nathan, which is, I guess, it's a, it's a very powerful thing to distill in, in, in others as well. Like you, you sort of, it's almost like you, you lead others to do that because you start off doing it yourself and then you encourage a lot of other people to do it the same so yeah that's something just want to if anything just act, just acknowledge you for that and just say that you know it's, it's something that that i always try to preach as well but it's nice to see someone actually doing it as well so yeah i appreciate you doing that yeah of course so before we we get to the last couple of questions i thought i'd give you the chance to, to share what free up is and give people a chance to join if they want to so this is your chance to share a bit about how people can follow you and join free up if they want to yeah so if you go to freeup.com with three e's you can create a free client account um if you mention this podcast you get a 25 dollar credit um to try us out you can also book a free meeting with me right at the top is my calendar i'd love to talk to you about your business and how i can help um i mean free up like i said we get thousands of applicants every week freelancers from around the world we take the top one percent based on skill attitude communication let them in and then make them available to you quickly. There's no browsing. There's no go through going through 50 people. You put in a request. We introduce you to someone that's pre-vetted. You can meet with them. Make sure you like them. If you like them, click hire. If you don't, click pass and provide us feedback. And we'll introduce you to someone pretty quick. A replacement based on that feedback. On the back end, we have 24-7 support, Skype, email, live chat. I'm pretty easy to contact. And then lastly, we have a no turnover guarantee. If freelancers quit for any reason, we cover replacement costs and get you a new person right away. So that's really what we're all about, the pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service, and the protection. Sounds good to me, Nathan. Right, we've got last couple of questions for you. And 
if there's someone that is interested in the e-commerce space or the, the freelance space, do you have any resources? These could be books or apps or, or softwares or websites that you would pinpoint people to. Yeah, check out the free up blog and the free up YouTube channel. I mean, we post so many great content, so much great content about hiring, about freelancing, about using a remote team, about startups and bootstrapping and, and everything that goes with this. So definitely check out our content. We spend a lot of time trying to, to educate people because, I mean, we can provide you a pre-vetted freelancer, but if you don't know what to do after the fact, that's not going to do you much good. So definitely check out the free up blog and the free up YouTube channel. All right, sounds good. Okay, last question for you, Nathan, and I, I ask all my guests this. So we've had questions from silly to serious and everything in between. So we can, we can open the door wide open on this one, all right? And the last question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? <laughs> um, about that I don't already know. Um, I'm a big foodie. My, my girlfriend and I, we travel around the world, around the US, um, and we just love trying different local non-chain food places. Um, and it's something that we really enjoy. It's something that um, with free up and, and the flexibility and the, the entire being remote, it's, it's allowed us to do. Um, and yeah, that, that's something interesting about me. All right, Nathan, thanks for being a guest on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. For those, for those that are new to the show, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you keep up to date with everything and all the guests that we have on the show. Nathan, thanks for being a part of the Raw Show. I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.